boy. Pressure, pressure, pressure. My name is Robert Hagens. And I'm Kay Tuxford. And this is episode 112 of Screenwriting from the Trenches, uh, a podcast about the craft and expression of screenwriting in, in all of its forms from the perspective of writers just like you. That was my Robert Downey Jr. impression. It, it, is, a, it is. You know what? I see it. Uh-huh. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But I feel like half of your impressions have been Robert Downey Jr. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know what? I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not mad at it. Take it, He's take it as actor. a compliment. He's yeah. a great actor. Fantastic. If I'm, if I'm even one, like 25th of the actor that Robert Downey Jr. is, that's pretty, that's pretty good. Cause he's, he's pretty amazing. I mean, he is Iron Man. So it's pretty hard to be like, no, don't compare me to Iron Man. Right. No, you know, I just built a, you know, multi billion dollar franchise. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so this week we are continuing our deep dive into holiday movies, our favorite holiday movies. And this week, Kay Tuxford and I, even though she tried to present the last one as as a present to me, which I am still not standing behind, I will not endorse, nor will I give it credence. But this one, we are in perfect alignment, Kay Tuxford. I think we are. We both independently came to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yes. Yes. I think this is where you and I work best when you find something sweet and I find something cynical and together we both get to love it. Right. So this week we're going to do a deep dive on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Be Even though it kind of falls into the category we talked about last week where it, it's not necessarily a Christmas movie. It just sort of takes place at Christmas. But because it's Shane Black, I feel like it gets special consideration. So we're going to get get into that, but before- yeah, I mean, and I, you know, we were talking about what makes a Thanksgiving movie a Thanksgiving movie versus like a holiday season movie. Right, this right, may right, count right. as a Christmas holiday season movie, right? Um, which is fine. I'm fine with keeping it in that label. It's still a great watch during the holidays, mm-hmm. and, and it's a great movie, and it's a great script. I've read the script. So yes. before we get into the goodness that is. Shane Black and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. We are first going to update you on all of the hullabaloo of screenwriting Twitter. We're going to keep using that word because Kate Tuxford likes it. And I do. Hey, Zach. It's just another day in screenwriting drama, screenwriting drama, screenwriting drama. It's just another day in screenwriting drama. It's another day in screenwriting drama. How can you not like the word hullabaloo? I, I don't, you know, it's just, it just feels like we're trying too hard. Mm. It feels like, you know, like it's trying to be much more than it is. Okay. It's, it's, britches are too big. It's the name itself is too much hullabaloo. <laughs> yes. It, ironically, yes. Okay. It is, you know what? It's like, you know, it's like your right. name was Bob Iger. And we're going to talk about. Bob Iger. Um, Bob Iger, yeah, because he apparently got uh, there was this this book thing that happened this week, and Bob Iger was there, and this is like it was just a lot of drama at this thing where it was a bunch of billionaires slinging mud at each other, but also slinging mud at a black woman, Nia Costa, who directed the Marvels, and he's when asked about the film, what could have gone wrong, and as to why it was is not living up to the box office potential of Marvel movies. He said that there wasn't enough supervision 
because yeah and i, I don't think he meant the superpower of vision either yeah. i think he i mean the interpretation is there should have been more execs dabbling on board and right. and messing with it right to make it more i don't know four quadrini is that a thing but it, it just oh well, I mean, okay, so this is interesting. Have you seen the Marvels yet, Rob? I have not. I, I okay. want to see it really, really bad. But the thing is, is that, you know, just like everybody else, I'm poor. And movies <laughs> cost money. Yeah, you got to pace yourself. You got to pace yourself. And then, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening and stuff like that. Like, there's a there's a lot of holiday movies. Like, I, I'll, I'll get into this later, but I, I went to see Kiss Kiss Bang Bang at the Alamo this week and I did it because a it was film club and I'll get into that also later but also b it was 10 bucks you know what I mean it was a, and it was also a deal on something that I had in the app you know what I mean that's how I've been seeing movies most of the, this year I have been finding doing the, the most deals I've become like a, the kind of guy who's just like you know kind of finding every angle to see a, a cheap movie I swear to god and seven dollar Tuesdays have been my friend I know you have five dollar Tuesdays. I do, I do, and we we use and abuse five dollar Tuesdays, right? Because I get, it's fucking expensive I, to go to the movies. Yeah, I get sometimes like if it's good, it's a good week, and I've been paid recently. I'm like everybody in the house who wants to go to a movie. I've got thirty bucks just for all of you, right? Exactly, <laughs> and so and you yeah. get points and stuff that all yeah. accumulate, so you get. Like the, the popcorn and the soda might already be paid for. 100%. This theater also lets us kind of walk in with our own snacks. They don't really care. So that's also a crime we commit. Yeah, Misha and I have definitely, and, and Alamo, I, I will advertise this to the thing, even though I'm not, I swear to God, I'm not a, a show for the Alamo Draft House. But at Alamo, even just for using the app, you get popcorn deals. Like it's it's either if you haven't been there for a few months, they send you one. If you go like like a couple shows in a row, they give you one. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just so it's it's been great just to use the app. And I've been really, really tempted on purchasing their their $20 a month Alamo Draft House thing, which allows you to see free all movies. The movies. Yeah, yeah, all the movies or whatever like that. But I, I just I, movies are expensive. I really want to see the Marvels. I have nothing against the Marvels. I'm actually look, very much looking forward to it because I saw Miss Marvel and WandaVision. I've done all the homework required. And I think that's the biggest problem is that yeah. there's so much homework required to do to go see the Marvels. Like if you haven't seen the Marvels, I mean, if you haven't seen Miss mm. Marvel and you haven't it's, seen yeah. WandaVision and you haven't seen Captain Marvel, like, you know, you probably you don't be a know little the yeah, you're gonna you're not gonna know all the characters right. involved. Exactly. Yeah, and I think I think that's the grand mistake. Not mistake. I mean that's the that's requires hours and hours of preparation and right. viewing. Like so, I remember earlier this year for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, not to go off on a complete tangent, but I remember going to to re thinking of the homework that was required for that movie. Like you had to have seen Doctor Strange, Infinity War, Endgame, Spider-Man Spider No Way Home. And not only that, but then what if you had to see mm. that episode of like Dark Strange from What If? And there's this whole thing that goes on that like in, in every universe that he never really gets together with Christine. And there's this whole thing where he keeps trying and he keeps trying and he keeps trying and he keeps trying. I'm not going to spoil the episode, but suffice to say, it doesn't go very well. 
So the opening scene where Strange is forced to go to her wedding, where he's just able to let her go, it's heartbreaking. But there's a lot of homework required to get to that moment. For you, you know to feel I mean? what he's feeling. Exactly. Right, exactly. And so all of this stuff that's in the movie like is based upon that thing. And that's the way comic books have always gone. But ironically, this is the same problem that comic books face. Every once in every once in a while, they've done too much and new people can't jump one. So they just reboot the whole universe. And it's easy to do in comic books. They just decide they're going to do it. But with like actor schedules and all these other different things and stuff like that in the real world, that has real world kind of stuff. And I think that's just where Marvel is. And besides the fact that, that we were also in the middle of a double strike when this yeah. thing should have been promoted and that didn't happen. Like there were a yeah. lot of reasons why the Marvels didn't make money and we just <laughs> outlined most of them. So yeah, and it's, and it's interesting that none of the reasons have to do with it being women or a black female director. Right. It has to do with the type of material and how it was promoted and how people could like become join in and be a part of the joy i saw it and i had done my homework we we watched wandavision we watched ms marvel which very much beloved in my house i saw captain america captain marvel in theaters when it came out i haven't seen it since but so i felt like when we went we were as educated as we could be it was very delightful we had a great time i would argue the character work is more fun than the plot which does happen sometimes in Marvel movies. This is not intrinsic to like, you know, the Marvels. And I, I don't know. I'd watch another one, hands down. I'm really into Ms. Marvel and like her energy and character. Cause I think- She's really great. I think, I think sometimes when we get to these more mature adult storylines, unless it's like the boys, the drama is often like, oh, I have to be a good hero and be responsible. Yeah, you I know? tried the boys and it's so, it's so draining. That show is so draining. <laughs> I like it, but it's dark and it's, it's like so it's willing dark. to go there. But I, my, my point in saying, like, I think having teenagers kind of like Spider Man, like Ms. Marvel, is they're still experimenting with what's my responsibility to the world? How do I balance my wants and needs, et cetera, et cetera. When we meet adults, their storylines and their desires, I think, are a little bit more mature and sometimes can get a little flat because they are, you already know they're going to do the right thing. Well, I think the 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 problem is the is the mixing of the genres, yes. uh, and this is our, this is this works for us because it's a screenwriting problem. The problem is the mixing of comic book genres, where comic books are made to be episodic in that they're, they're you know you're coming to it every week for the same characters, you know what I mean, or every month or whatever it is yeah. that's being released, and then you have movies that require stakes. And stakes require consequences, yes. and that's why I think the mar what what the MCU is is missing right now. There seems to be a lack of consequences for stuff, and that's one of the reasons why Loki is doing so well because at the end there are massive consequences for both the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Loki himself yes. as a character. There are massive consequences, and when you have those consequences, and you're not just setting things up for a sequel. People love it. They, that's what they want to see. They were like, wow, I don't know where you're going to go after this, but I'm here for it. That's when people show up for stuff. When you yeah. have like that kind of stuff. But when you have these movies that are basically just set up for sequels, this was the problem with Quantumania, where you yeah. just leave a lot of hats on the ground and you're watching this and you're like, there are no stakes in this movie. And when there's no stakes, there's no, there's no reason to watch. 
It's that, right, it's, right. You're not worried about anything. You could skip it and jump back into the series, and there wouldn't be too much different. One hundred. I, I really, I really liked Loki uh, season two. Mm-hmm. Uh, season one, I think, was more fun of a story, but yeah. season two, I think, has a much more satisfying ending, like you were talking about. One hundred percent. And it just it, that that thing at the end where they go back, you know, like it, they sort of with the with the second season folds in on the first season i'm not going to spoil it for anybody but when that second season folds in you're like oh wow oh wow wow that did not see that coming and that's so and do you know what i mean it's just that kind of setups payoffs was missing and i think the reason why season four season i mean well phase four felt so flat for a lot of people is because there was no avengers movie to sort of like it's like a avengers movies are like a waypoint like where are we what yeah. happened here? What are what the are relationships? These, right. yeah. What are these characters doing over here? Let's bring this all together and uh, under a common villain and explore all this stuff and then send us all in different directions. That's what those Avengers movies were for. And there wasn't anything like that. There was no unifying event for phase four or certainly for phase five yet. So it's just, that's the thing that's making people confused, I think. And when there isn't, it just feels like a lot of content, which is something that Bob Iger did talk about where he said they focused on quantity over quality. But again, none of this has anything to do with a Black woman directing a movie or the fact that there were no executives on set or less executives on set on the Marvels. None of it. Not one piece. Yeah, I mean, it would be a hell of a difference if you say, hey, we needed to develop phase four more or, mm-hmm. you know, we needed to unify the stories that were coming out more. So they, you know, built together and built up more excitement. You could say there's something you need to work on in development, et cetera, et cetera, to make it a stronger piece. But it's definitely weird to blame the director who came on board. They're like, here's the script. Do with it what you can. Right. And she did, you know, it sounds to me like she came in and did her job. And it's it's actually, like I said, what's really great about the Marvels that I found, even though, again, the plot's not bad. It's a very typical Marvel plot. You know, we got to work together. There's a space alien we need to beat. But what's great about it is the interpersonal relationships. And she really did a great job building out both of all three of their characters and spending time with them. And then obviously like the storyline with Sam Jackson's character and also Camilla's family, it's delightful comedy. Like it plays well. There was a lot of laughs in my audience. There was alien space kittens. Like one could only ask for so much. Yeah. That, that seems like it's right up your alley. Kate talks with the, yeah. with the whole thing. But speaking of, things that speaking of executives not knowing what they're talking about as we continue oh yes another villain of yes the, week. the the other villain the, these guys continue to not know what the fuck to say out of their mouths you had david zasloff who said that he was quoted as saying that it took courage to cancel the movies that, that he, he yeah that he ixnayed and like batgirl batgirl <laughs> yeah what was it coyote versus acme yeah coyote versus acme and how it you know basically that it took courage to come in and see what was see that the company was bleeding and cut off limbs in order to save the body and okay (laughs) yeah all right yeah and you know what i mean like i don't know there is in certain for because the thing is is nobody in this business knows anything 
And I think that's that was proven more and more this year, where you had the biggest movie of the fucking mo- of the year was uh well the well the three biggest movies of the year was a uh, art house film take on a toy movie, yep, aka Barbie. Then yep. a a movie about a forty year old video game character, Super Mario Brothers, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you have a a, a a, almost a billion dollar three hour epic whose demographic is basically guys who watch the history channel like yep. that those were your top three yeah and i think that's oftentimes the like you couldn't plan for it right you couldn't mm-hmm. sit there going like oh yeah like 30 year olds are gonna run to go see Oppenheimer." right but they did <laughs> they did but they did yeah and i think i think number one it seemed fun it seemed like an event it seemed clear that it knew what it was right and what it wasn't like, I'm not. Ne- I I was having this conversation earlier this week. I'm not necessarily the world's biggest Christopher Nolan fan. I find him kind of hit and miss personally for my taste. One hundred. But the guy, but the guy knows what he makes, and you know, like, okay, I'm gonna go see a Christopher Nolan movie. You know what you're gonna see, and yeah. you're you're either down for that or you're not. You know, I kind and- of downright dislike Tenet. But you know yeah. what? The movie knows what it is the whole way through. Yeah. It's not, it, you don't feel like you're in unsafe hands the entire time. You know what I mean? It, there's no point where the filmmaker seems confused or, the, yeah. like, you know, whatever. It, it seems like it is a complete vision. It's just not one that I wanted, you know, and that's fine. But at the same time, there's no insecurity in it at all. Same thing with Inception, which I love. It's like the opposite of that movie. That movie is absolutely gorgeous. Everything about that movie, there's that move that that moment, and it's been memed a bunch of times, where Tom Hardy turns to Joseph Gordon Levin and says, You have to think a little bit bigger, darling, and pulls out the rock, the, the grenade launcher. You know what I mean? Just yeah. like that moment is like comes from somebody who is so self-assured. He's like, No, that's gonna work. Yeah, exactly. And and I, I give him massive props to that. And obviously he's got an audience now built in that know what a Christopher Nolan movie is, and mm-hmm. they're down for it, and it worked. And then I think there's other appeal because some people are tired of there being movies geared for children or for, you know, based on pop culture or, you know, video games. So for them, they're like, ooh, a movie I actually potentially can relate to. So, you know, I think it covered an older demographic, too. It it did very well amongst its demographics. And anyway, my point, is, I think the point is, is you can't really sit there and say you're going to know that Batgirl didn't wasn't going to make any money you yeah. you have no way of knowing um coyote versus acme was not going to make money in fact a lot of people who saw early screenings thought it was great I, um, I'm, I'm inclined to see it i want to see it now you know what i mean when yeah. i found out that, that john cena is in it and you know what shout out to john cena i'm, yeah. I'm just gonna because he, he also did a cameo on barbie that was absolutely fucking hysterical was john that when he was cena, a merman yes yes john cena and I said this to my wife, John Cena just, he has no shame and I am fucking here for it. Like The Rock in recent years has taken, takes himself so seriously. But you watch, like, there's a movie that I'm I'm dying to watch with, with John Cena and Allison. Freelancer, I just saw yeah. that two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah Allison Brie. And I'm just dying to see it because, because it looks so much, it looks like so much fun. Fucking John Cena just he just goes there like he's just he's gonna do it like yeah they, they put him in the Fast and the Furious movie as like the brother to and fucking Vin Diesel and we all were cricket. supposed to like swallow that and he just ran with it he just 
fucking ran with it. I loved him in it. I don't care that the movie is absolute trash. The mo- <laughs> but, but he's like great in it. Like, and, and I feel the same way about Peacemaker, which came out a couple oh, years ago. So but I, I think that captures this tone. Like he's willing to like do, I mean, get silly. Mm-hmm. He's willing, he's willing to get silly, queer, make bad choices, you know, right. like be silly, like be be the butt of a joke on camera if mm-hmm. it if it serves the story. Even like, if he's naked, even if he's butt ass yeah. naked. He just looks like he's having a great time. He's so fun. And he's... he makes it seem, yeah, he makes it seem like, like, why aren't you getting butt ass naked and listening to rock and right? roll either? Yeah. Uh, like, you're the fool, not him. <laughs> so shout out to John Cena for just, yes. you know what I mean? So I, when you think about that, like John Cena in a movie with, with Looney Tunes characters and Acme products, that I is, a, even... that is, that you could, that sounds like something you can just print money from. Just put it out. Seriously, everyone will go see it. Have a great time. Because that's the kind of movie that people keep saying that they want. They just want these, like, let's have fun, like, woo, kind of laugh and, like, you know, whatever and stuff like that. I want to see it. I want to see it. Coyote Coyote versus Acme. If it comes through first week, I'm in line. You have my money. But, like, Zaslav talking about, like, yeah, it took courage to shut the fuck up. No, it didn't. (laughs) No, No, of course it didn't. Is it not? Yeah, I mean, he's saying, oh, everybody, I think think he's thinking, like, I know people will think low of me, but I courageously did it to save the company. And it's like, no, you didn't. Like, you think that's your narrative, and that's what you think you did, or whatever you're going to say now that your PR team has told you. But truthfully, it would take a lot more courage to say, wow, these talented artists actually, like, did something that's interesting and unique, and we don't know how it's going to land, but fuck it, I think they should see it. That's courage. Right. That's courage. And Kate yeah. Tuxford, you just teed us up for our, our last bit of, of Twitter follow-up. Where <laughs> Speaking of people who are trying to rewrite their own narrative, Elon yes. Musk was also apparently at this little event. And <laughs> just and they were, when questioned about the advertisers and why they were leaving Twitter, he told them to fuck off. He was yeah, like... <laughs> he, said, he said he was being blackmailed. Uh-huh. And being controlled by losing advertising dollars, which is really just what we call the free market. Well, well here's the thing, though. He's being yeah. blackmailed to to not do what? To not retweet or Support promote Nazis. anti-Semitic? Yeah. yeah. Like content like that's what you're being blackmailed not to do. Hmm. Even if that was even if it was true. Let's take that at face value. You're being blackmailed not to be anti-Semitic. You know what? I support that. 100 absolutely absolutely not support that yeah advertisers are like hey as long as you're being anti-semitic we're not gonna give you any of our our advertising dollars yeah and and who has a problem with this show it's not even yeah it's not even blackmail disney's sitting there and they're like we don't want to be associated with an anti-semite our people are people who are working here who are jewish we have people who are our audiences who are jewish like they don't need that ish and we like and by the way elon musk we don't need you and your twitter dying app and i think that's the thing is is elon musk is failing to understand and maybe he maybe he never will but his his him jumping on and making all these changes didn't make a bunch of people go oh good i want to work with twitter well um, i don't know Tux, but i'm gonna disagree with you on that a little bit in that i think that elon knows that the writing is on the wall, that the app oh, is going so. down in flames. And he's actively trying to rewrite his narrative right now, where in the end he'll he'll say, 
I was persecuted for my right. free speech. Yes. For free speech, right. I I Twitter was a casualty of my free speech. Yes. And fuck him up the ass no for thing. that bullshit. Yeah. I just no. Absolutely not, man. Like that oh god. And it scares me that that actually could be a thing where that'll be the thing that people take away if Twitter it does end in flames and which, you know, is not unfathomable at this point but because these because yeah. the thing has lost so much market value and you know then it yeah and it's had a mass exodus of people it's also lost a lot of i mean there's other apps out there like blue sky and threads that are competitive right. with it so there's no reason for people to sit on twitter except for it was a fun place they've already been and if you took away the fun place they like being there's no reason you're going to keep them Right. Uh, I just, I don't know. I, 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 it's a weird year because it used to be executives would fuck up in a Zaslav or Elon Musk kind of style. And they would, someone would just be like the, the board, like they tried to do with the guy from OpenAI. The board would mm-hmm. just vote and be like, okay, that guy's gone. That guy's done. Yeah. And, but this, this seems not to be able to happen. We have this really weird year of people sticking behind their sort of their masters in open AI's case, you know, that, that, that probably was a good thing, you know, especially since Microsoft stepped in and there was a bunch of that kind of stuff. And then the, the employees stepped in. So it seemed like at least in that respect, that was a good idea. But in the case of like David Zaslav, what has he really done for, for besides the fact that he cut a bunch of stuff, that's great, but he also didn't make any money and he caused by his own admission, he caused a bunch of lost revenue by by prolonging the strike. strike. Yeah, the yeah, double and strike. I, I and I think that's at the end of the day. I think there's a lot more ego on the line than actually good business. Um, because if you're going to sit there and go, okay, I want a good quarter, starting with the strike, which by the way, you give in to all the demands in six months. So the only thing you're losing is six months of revenue. Uh huh. Um, and so you sit there and going, well, if if these were all reasonable demands to begin with, you could have, you could have been the first to broke break away from the AMPTP, got back to filming, and you could have brought everyone else to the table. 100%. They they could have been they could have been the the people who got Hollywood working again, and everyone instead of running away from Warner Brothers and not taking meetings because they keep canceling projects, everyone could have been flocking to them because they supported the arts and artists. Yeah, and they, they literally got, they got them back to work when everybody people have been dying to work. Right. You know? They literally went in the opposite direction. So the only one who came out of the strike who was a hero was A24. Yeah. Where <laughs> they, they signed all these temporary agreements for the to the thing so that people could get back to work. Those were the and only movies that yeah. Right. And those are the only people who's, who were working during the strike because they signed all the temporary agreements for the Writers Guild. And they were just like, hey, afterwards, we're going to abide by the contracts. And so yeah. people could work. And for me, it was just... And then Zaslav did it so badly that he literally came out where at the end of the strike, people were cutting meetings with Warner Brothers. Literally, creative talent was leaving. Because they were, because it was known as a an artist unfriendly place, and I, I just, what, when you get labeled like that, when you have like a public thing like that, where it's literally a part of the the sphere where people are talking about it, this is no longer an artist friendly place, 
And then one of those projects or something like that that they didn't get is going to go out and be a big stinking hit. I hope so. And oh, then yeah. somebody's going to turn around and be like, we had that. Yeah. And you yeah, exactly. fucked it up. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I think whoever grabs Acme versus, I mean, Coyote versus Acme is going to be like a. I a hope movie. that thing makes $2 billion. I, I really hope it do. does too, because it's, I mean, it's a classic. It's four quadrant. Everybody, our parents have seen, you know, Looney Tunes, so they can go and reminisce. You can take kids. It's probably fun. I saw the music, uh, the the com- composer and his, he was doing this choral where they're all, all the singers were going singing meep meep like the <laughs> runner. It was glorious. Like I was like, I think it's going to be a very joyful experience when it's right. once it happens. And and now you basically are handing it over on a platter. And right. I think. What is that going to look like when you were almost scrapping it and this thing turns out to be a big stinky hit? Like, what is that going to look like? Don't you, wouldn't, at some point, wouldn't someone say, this guy has no fucking clue and even his instincts are terrible? Yeah. I don't know. And I think, I think, yeah, I was going to say there are different types of CEOs. And I think, I think David Zaslav definitely reminds me of the type that's just going to keep carving out pieces of Warner Brothers before it goes under. And Ugh. just kind of sell it, sell it for parts is really like kind of behavior they which do, is so. just a heartbreaking because it's such a legendary studio. It literally yeah. is one of the like the, the OGs. And yeah. so that's just anyway. Well, I, anyway, well, it, let's wrap this up with some nice stuff. We uh the podcast rap stats came out this week. Yes. And I talked about this a little bit on Twitter before we came on, but Megan Reese came on and she was our, she was part of our biggest episode. Pitching was our biggest episode. And we had Megan on to talk about her script. And it just, apparently that episode was listened to 291% more than any other episode this year. So, wow. Well, thank you, Meg. Yeah. Who I did meet as well in person at AFF this year. And she is as delightful as she is, as you hear on the podcast. So uh, definitely run, don't walk to hear this episode if you haven't yet. Or if you talk to her in person, enjoy all of her funny quips and wisdom. Well, congratulations, Rob. We also made a few a few uh, lists on Twitter of most listened to podcasts. Larry Collins shared his rap, and uh, we we were number we're we're number three slot in Larry Collins's life. Thank you, Larry. Yeah, that that was actually really great, and you know that actually we are apparently a top ten podcast for a good portion of our listeners, and I'll take it. And yeah, and that I you know one hundred percent I'll take it. But you know the the two people who are above us, one the second one right above us was Meg Lafove and Laurie McKenna. Yeah, so I'm like if I'm right behind them, sure. I guess I'm doing. I guess we're doing okay. Yeah, like, you know what I mean. So I'll take it. Thanks, guys. Well, we really appreciate you guys out there sharing the podcast. There was also another stat that you guys are out there sharing the podcast that you're telling people about us that you're giving out direct links and that helps so 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 much we've been able to partner with a lot of great people this this year and i hope to do more partnerships in the in the future because i want to keep giving you guys free shit i just got i just sent you know out our stuff from impossible kingdom a little while ago and i I believe amy and jd have gotten their stuff they got some vomit draft stuff. I sent them both a vomit draft and a plot fold screenwriting map. And nice. 
So, and then Kate Tuxford also got one as well. So I, that was like, that was like a bonus prize. I think it was yeah. like a participant trophy. Thank you, Rob. But I, I really, I, I would love to promote more stuff actually that, especially if it's going to be free for you guys or stuff that where it's a great deal, because this thing as as sort of part of my ethos in terms of making you know films for a thousand dollars of course i see you guys out there every one of us is on the grind and sometimes we just don't have a lot of cash and i i know that feeling where you want like there's a camera right now there is a used camera online that i'm just refreshing every day <laughs> to <laughs> seeing that i'm hoping that somebody doesn't buy it because i'm trying to build up my own capital so that I can buy it. I literally took a wedding job so that I could like potentially afford this camera. It's hey Rob, how many cameras do you already have? I have I have I have one camera. I have well, okay. I have mm. one camera, which mm -hmm. is my pocket cinema 4K, mm -hmm. and I have my Canon 60D, which is basically a relic at this point, but it's a stills camera. We don't really shoot with it anymore. Unless we're doing weddings. But like <laughs> Fair. Okay. Right. So I do, but that most of my stuff that I've been doing for the last year and a half has been shooting on my iPhone because I'm in that space. And yeah, you, you know, I love it. So, so I'm yeah. not gonna, I'm not gonna judge you for that. Yeah, I know. So speaking of which, K Tuxford has a thing coming, but we'll talk about that later in the the, the thing. Oh hey. yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll mention it in my in my what am I doing? Yeah. yeah. So but let's you know, we've we've waited too long to jump into our deep dive. Right. Let's go into our deep dive. What there we, you know, you guys are here for the screenwriting. We have some stuff. But anyway. <laughs> kiss kiss bang bang. Kiss kiss bang bang. Shane Black is if you had like a Mount Rushmore of screenwriters. I think Shane Black would be on both of ours. Would, yeah. Would, would you would you say that's true? I would definitely put him there. I think yeah. I think um what I like about Shane Black is he is unabashedly a genre writer. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes genre writers get, you know, short shift when it comes to like, ooh, great screenwriters. You don't see a lot of genre writers getting nominated for best screenwriting Oscars, right? Right. But he is just a great writer on the page and off and obviously he kind of helped build the build the belief in people's minds in the 90s that you could spell a sell a spec script for a million dollars which people still think is a thing because shane black did it with his with his script what was it what was it the last boy scout no it was it was lethal what no it was the last i think it was no it was the longest good night Okay, long kiss, good night. Yeah, and I think I think he's he's got a very long career of doing strong, well written scripts, and then kiss, piss, kiss, kiss, piss, kiss, kiss, kiss piss. bang, bang. Yeah, kiss, kiss, bang, bang is his directing kiss, piss debut. Is a, is a totally different movie, but that's let's not go there. But uh, yeah, I was gonna say that's probably on like Pornhub, not yeah. on IMDb. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No, you're right. I should, I'm not going to Google that. Don't just, Google anything. No. Don't do it. No. Um, rule 34. Sorry. Yeah. Just a so, giant air that comes up. It's like, rule I mean, 34. Let's, let's talk about Shane Black. <laughs> no, I think, so, so I think that's lovely that like he went from being a solid screenwriter in the nineties where people really liked his work to, he went to directing kiss, kiss, bang, bang was his first. And then uh, because kiss, kiss, bang, bang came out, he then got to do, the nice guys which i think is just kind of beloved 
yes as well and then he also did an iron man so he he basically is really branched out and he's done you know not just stayed in his corner and i think that's great because i think it's only made him stronger yeah when the thing about this movie is that shane black was apparently coming off of a big a big bout of writer's block he yes. just was keeping he'd sold a you know movies and stuff like that and he'd made a bunch of money and the movies themselves had been hits but he had been in this little corner you know he, he'd taken some hits last action hero even though it's beloved now was not beloved when it came out and there's some other stuff that just did not perform as well the Long Kiss Good Night did not perform well. It did not, even though that is also a fucking classic, and we'll get into that a little later. But like, yeah. it just anyway, the, the taking some hits, but and he still had that kind of like you know Hollywood loves to do that thing where like they built you up into this thing, and then they're like, oh, you're not as good as you thought you were, and it's like, who was writing this narrative? It wasn't me. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> And I think I think also it's a big misnomer. Like sometimes material can be great and it doesn't land for a lot of reasons, not mm -hmm. because the story is not good or the execution of it is. But they were, you know, I think what they did is, oh, Shane Black had all these great hits in the 90s. So he should just keep doing that, you know, add infant, you know, item and and it should be fine. And I think the so I think I think really when it came down to it, they were just hoping to like print money, just like they had printed money off of him before. Well, th this movie was also not a hit, which is crazy to me. I think I think I read that the movie only played in 169 theaters. Yeah, I mean, that's insane. So I think that's part of it as well, is if I think this went out bigger, I think he would have given Ryan Johnson a run for his money with his whodunits. Yes, because that that, that and Brick came out basically at the same time. Yeah, and, the, and oh my God, a good time. A good time to be a filmmaker and holy have Brick. Holy shit. And 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 kiss kiss bang 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 bang, bang, bang. Uh, oh my no. god it's another one kiss piss and kiss kiss gang bang I like I love this movie and I'm struggling wow like, kiss okay. kiss bang bang it used to have a different title rule thirty four um, rule thirty four oh my don't even I don't want to see that video I want to watch kiss kiss bang bang <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we have this movie so it didn't it didn't hit. Which is crazy to me, but you also have to think about Robert Downey Jr. was in the doghouse. And this was the movie that, I, while it did got, this was the movie that ironically got him Iron Man. It was not, he was not considered a safe bet by Hollywood at this point. Yes. Shane Black went out and he struggled with this. He was struggling with the script and he went to his mentor and his mentor was like, you got to cut all this other crap, except for the love story and this, this murder mystery thing. Like that's working for you and or no he just loved the love story he was like you keep the love story and cut then, everything else right cut yeah. everything else and then he added the murder mystery the murder mystery and then it started to work yes and he read a lot of raymond chandler and that's why if you look at the it's credited in, in the the credits too but it's like every one of the chapters of the script in the movie are titles of raymond chandler novels so. Yeah, and, and little fun fact, I've never been, but I've had friends who've gone, Shane Black does have like a house in LA and like they do like watch parties and parties there are pretty epic. And he has a giant library full of pulp novels, detective pulp novels. He's just, he loves them. And so I think he he definitely kind of went into that hardcore for this. Yes, and, and fun fact, if you watch the movie, that house at the beginning of the movie where they're having the party, that's yeah. Shane Black's house. 
Yes. Yes. That's what I, that's what I imagine all of his parties look like. (laughs) (laughs) So he's literally like writing what he knows. You know what I mean? Like that's so funny to me. And so you have, this movie is what I really love about it is that it does. It has so many setups and payoffs which is what he's you know known for but they're but they're so unexpected in in different ways and they're you know Shane Black is if you want to like a god of setups and payoffs you there isn't really one bigger than Shane Black he just literally the scene where he gets where Robert Downey Jr's character gets the shit beat out of him and like he comes off tough talking like trying to keep the guy from uh this guy from molesting Michelle Monaghan's character Harmony yeah and then he talks this big game and we think you know because it's Robert Downey Jr he's the star you know he's he's gonna kick this guy's ass and the next thing you know you see him outside on the lawn just getting his ass kicked yeah <laughs> totally it's so different from Brick where Joseph Gordon-Levitt just like is like wails on people and you're mm-hmm. like where did that come from and you with yeah with with robert downey you're like oh he's gonna he's, he's a you know his character probably can like do a good hook or something no he has no skills he's all talk and he he takes a beating and that makes us actually like him more right exactly and that's one of the things that i really sort of i i think that i love about it the most is the the idea of the non-hyper masculine <clears throat> detective sort of the opposite of a Jack Reacher type character. You know what I mean? I feel like so much of our generation, like our generation and our heroes are built on these giant, stoic, super hyper-masculine characters that are solving the mystery simply by barreling through the problem. Yes, I have a friend who says he solves the problem by punching. Right, exactly. There's a problem in his way. He's like, I'm going to barrel right through it. And just like the the bad guys are just like, we have to stop this guy because he's interrupting our, our things because he's just this unstoppable force. You know what I mean? Just like just yeah. bullets, explosions. None of these things matter. He's just going to punch his way through the problem till he gets to the thing. And you're right. Even Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who's skinny as a rail, just punches his way through like most of the, the thing. He's thinking of it he's thinking too but at the same time there's just there's several fight scenes in break yeah yeah and i think it works against type because you're like oh this guy's gonna get his ass kicked and then he doesn't which works well for brick and it just shows you don't know if you know if you know your body and how to fight you can probably kick some ass i think that's good i I wanted to do like a quick synopsis if anybody hasn't seen this just what it's about uh this it starts starts out with harold which is robert downey jr's character Watching a robbery at a toy store during Christmas time with his partner. And when he and his partner are on the run, he winds up. I think his partner gets shot, if I recall. Yeah, he gets shot. The partner gets shot and he gets shot through the partner. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, um, but he makes it into a room to hide from the police. And it's a casting call for a movie. And he gets pulled in to read for a part of the movie about a guy who just lost his partner. And he just doesn't know what's happening, but starts wailing because he just lost his partner. And they decide he's this really serious method actor and bring him to LA for more tests. And I think it's a great opening hook because you already understand, like, this is silly 
right? right. It's so LA, you know what I it's mean? So it's so LA, it's so <laughs> silly. Um, and you, you like, you just have to run with it. And then right. you, and then what happens is we catch up with him at a pool party uh, or at a Christmas party at Shane Black's actual house where he's being touted around as like the next big actor. And they're right. really only using him to make another big actor jealous who wants too much money for the role. So like, he knows he's going to get like thrown away probably. Well, he's or he's, everybody else does. Everybody else does, and he's he's just kind of being swept up in the in the ambiance of Hollywood. And yeah. the producer of the film, who quote unquote discovers Robert Downey Jr.'s character Harold, sets him up with Val Kilmer's character, Gay Perry, who's who, an actual PI. Yeah, who's a Los Angeles uh, private investigator, and sets him up to take quote unquote detective lessons. And what's it's supposed to be just a routine surveillance gig turns into a complete clusterfuck of violence yes. and gun shoot and gun, you know, gunplay and dead bodies that appear and disappear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, so, so I think it's fun. It's kind of like if you went on a ride along with the police and that night happens to be like the biggest high speed chase of like of the right. century uh and you're just you just happen to be there so like that's the fun part of robert downey jr characters he just has to be there and you know and gay perry and his by the way gay perry is called gay perry it's his name uh right. throughout and i love it we'll talk about that later but so he's kind of treated like is the kid he's stuck babysitting but he does manage to pull his own weight sometime and put things together and the other thing that kind of like the extra extra mystery is not only did they go on the stakeout where they you know, they find this body and like getting dumped in a, uh, in the river, in the water, in the back of a trunk. Uh, but his longtime crush back from like his hometown is there in L.A. trying to make it as an actress. She thinks he's a real detective and wants his help on a case of finding her missing sister. So now he's playing detective. He's running. He's, you know, he's running from bad guys who actually were part of the stakeout that saw him. And now he's also trying to impress the girl he still really loves by trying to solve her, her sister case. And they dovetail together. Right. And I won't tell you how there's a there's a scene where Robert Downey Jr. I put the, I'll let, put a link to the scene in the show notes. Because I found it online. And it's one of my favorite kind of like meet cute kind of, of scenes. There's a scene at a bar where Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Harry, meets up with uh, Michelle Monaghan's character, Harmony. And that's the girl that got away all those yeah. years ago. And yes. they have this scene, this bantery scene where it just there's so many it's setups and payoffs and but dialogue based. And just wonderful chemistry between two actors, and I'm gonna I'm gonna set it up for you guys because it is something that you should study. As screenwriters, a lot of times you are going to be forced, especially if you're doing paid jobs for other producers, where they're like, "We can't afford these scenes. These scenes that we have written that the were that were greenlit when the script was greenlit, we now no longer have the money for this. You've got to condense all of that kind of character development or the kind of character chemistry where you had maybe two or three scenes to get characters to like each other. You've now got to condense it to this one scene. And the scene can only be like two or three minutes long. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be able to do it. And you've got to be able to nail it down. And this movie is an example of doing just that, just 
fucking nailing it in like three minutes or less. It's just insane. And you have this this dialogue that that just goes for it. Just goes for it. And I, I would think I would think any kind of actor would just like look at this and be like, "We get to say this." Yes, like we get to. I get to do this. Yeah, I get to do this. Holy shit! And like, I want. I'm. I'm. Wanna, I'm going to link it in the show notes just because. Like, this is this is your bar. <laughs> this is like, I know a lot of us are not going to be able to get up to that thing, myself included. But like, holy shit, that is the bar. That's where you got to be. Yeah, and it's wonderful. And like I said, it, it it's definitely something that. Uh, you should experience, even if you're not going to watch the movie. So, uh, like, again, that link to that scene, Harmony Meets Harry, will be in the show notes. Yeah, so I also want to say, like, I think what's nice about this and makes it a little bit more of a Chris- than a Christmas movie is the themes aren't really necessarily about, like, love and family, which is very traditional for a Christmas movie. But this story is really about self-identity, right. you know? And I think that's that's interesting to me. And I think it's that more cynical side of a holiday movie where it's just like, you know, what's for Robert Downey Jr.'s character through all of this, he has always, his identity is constantly mistaken. He's mistaken for an actor. He's mistaken for a detective. Everybody thinks he's kind of like a better version than he actually is. And he's kind of not as good as they all perceive him, which is really funny to me. But I also think that we cover, especially in LA and like the land of actors and actresses, everybody wants to kind of present as like the best version of themselves. And it kind of plays with that and then goes to the underbelly and shows what people really are like as well. Except for one character. Gay Perry stays amazing throughout all. But the other thing is that, well, I mean, I don't know. You could argue the fact that there's a moment where Perry admits the reason why he's been giving Harry his detective lessons is because he is this type of character. Like he, there's, there's, he knows exactly what it was. He said he was part of this long con basically to shave off some money from a a higher actor. And and that so much that they went and did this whole song and dance routine in order to bring Robert Downey Jr.'s character out there when they had no intention Intention. of like actually using him in the film. And that's, it's pretty shitty. It's, 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 it's a, you know, kind of a, it's kind of a downer moment. You like, you think less of, of Perry's character at that moment. But that- yeah, but him being honest about it is is good because you're mm-hmm. right. He they he is part of the team that's putting on that air of like you're the next big star. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so there's there's okay, I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah, there's a li- there's a lot of depth to each of the characters, but you're right. The the idea, the one thing that I love that's sort of right in that vein is there's a part where they're they have to go to a party later on, another party in the movie where Michelle Monaghan's character is working as just sexy Santa lady. And that to me was just like, you know, that's one of those, like none of the, the, the actors or the characters in this movie are not hustling 110,000% through the whole film. Perry's character just constantly going from job to job to job, like doing this job, doing working for multiple people at the same time. Michelle yeah. Monaghan's character was going from acting gigs. It's like, literally she's like, oh, I was in the hills doing a gig all day. You know what I mean? She's doing commercials. 
And like yeah. the, the she's working through the holidays. There is the, no like, oh, I'll be with the family. Yeah. Right, exactly. And I love that the LA grind is real and it is omnipresent in this movie. And even Harry, who's sucked into the thing, he's like, like you said, he's pretending to be a detective, he's pretending to be an actor, he's taking detective lessons. You know what I mean? Like it just feels very much in that grind of like everybody trying to elevate themselves while you like you're right what most of them are like you know pieces of crap um <laughs> yeah yeah or you're pretending you're really great and i mean I, it really stems back to the guy who owns shane black's house in this is harlan and he's the rich guy who's powerful and even we look under that veneer and find out right it's a piece of crap yeah. So there's a there's a lot of that going on in in the whole thing, but the, I really enjoy that. The other thing that they don't that they do is as they as they're solving a mystery because the only detective actually detective in this thing is Perry himself, and he yeah. solves things within his own ex, own experience. But there's also this thing where Robert Downey Jr. because he's the main character is also figuring this out. But it's never this moment where as as they're playing detective where it feels like they're coming out of pocket of the characters themselves in order to make inventive leaps that you don't think they would have come to based on their experience. And yeah. then using that through the whole thing, like that's, it's, it's astonishing character work. There's that moment where he, where one of the bad guys throws a phone Downey's character catches it. And he says, nice hands and he says yeah i used to be a magician and it's true it's like a whole thing like that's he was a magician as a kid who turned into basically a petty thief that's his skill set yeah right. and so that but then at the same time when they when they catch the phone and he yells into it to hoping to get help then the guy when they get the phone back they think he's talking to a carpet company and when they get to it it's michelle monahan's character she's reciting something that she clearly did for some money like, you know what I mean? Like something that she had to say a million times. Yeah. As an actor or something like that. And it's just that's that kind of setups and payoffs is just fucking brilliant. Like it's it's character work on display and it's also plot at the same time. That's how it should feel. It should feel natural as fuck when you're doing yeah. these kind of things where character the stuff that's coming out of the character's mouth is 100 percent from their experience, and we get a piece of plot and also a setup and also a payoff and it's just it there's just a lot just in her reciting a mantra from a carpet company there's so much happening in that that's the kind of really fucking like top tier fucking writing that you got to be like capable of to be doing it in this business and yes. it's just and great I, and i think i think that's part of why i really enjoy this as like a, a whodunit mm -hmm. is there's no brilliant super genius sherlock at the beginning you know perry's very sensible and I got a good head on his shoulders and like is definitely more seasoned than the rest. But nobody is sitting there like looking at carpet fibers, deciding what street they walked down <laughs> previously. You know, right. and and but they're but they are solving the crime using the skill sets they have. And so I think that's really helpful as well, because once I mean, there is a time for Hercule Poirot and and Sherlock and that sort of stuff. But right. um, it this definitely feels more like it's scroungy, like second cousin. It feels like, yeah, like home homeopathic almost you know what i mean it just... yeah and i i appreciate that because i think if i were going to be thrust into a whodunit i would probably be doing only as well as some of these bottom rung characters here so it feels <laughs> it feels a little bit more real and it feels less um you know of a thought exercise and then it is nice to watch them because they aren't so brilliant and so savvy or so professional 
when they pull something off, it feels like, oh my God, you did it. Right. Right. Exactly. And like when you watch Bottle Rocket, the heist as a heist movie, you're like, you two shouldn't be able to. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah no. All right. And yeah, it's just, it, there's a, there's so many moments like that. And like, like I said, there's no, there's none of that super masculine machismo. These characters are just, a lot of times they're just bumbling through, literally bumbling through. There's a point where, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s character just gets accidentally kidnapped because one character is just like, I got to get the fuck out of here. And she jumps into a car because it's got keys in it. She's like, I've got to remove myself from this situation. And that's the way any of us would do. Like, if you're in a situation, you're like, there's gunplay. And I'll, oh, my God, I've got to get out of here. i got to get out of here. And you just, yeah. <laughs> it just jumps and in. And he accidentally off. gets driven, yeah, back to her house. Right. It's um, so great. It's, it is. It really is. And I think, I think, I think that kind of like sense of like happenstance and like it does make it, you know, feel a little bit more light on its feet than mm-hmm. everybody. And and it seems more like real crime where people are like, oh no, I've ran into a wall here. Let me solve it. Versus, you know, like a Machiavellian mustache twirling plan, like a Chinatown or something. Yeah, and yeah. I think, I think it's nice that it's the mystery and the, and the characters and the, and the baddies are more light on their feet. The other thing I wanted to talk about is gay Perry. I love Gay Perry so much. Yeah. Uh, everybody does. Val Kilmer killed it. And I think what, you know, the nice thing is Shane Black wrote, he knew exactly what he was doing when he wrote, wrote Gay Perry. He said, I want to have a gay character be the most competent, badass, cool PI ever. And if you want to ask, like, who's the most masculine in the story, it's Gay Perry. Right. It's really, really funny. I mean, and, he even and has this a is gun, the first time secret that, gun that... in his pants that he shoots a man with and stuff like that. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's the hard-boiled detective of got it that. in you aurelio you gotta know you got <laughs> yeah and i i love that because unless unless his name was wasn't gay perry his sexuality wouldn't even come into it um he would just be perry right 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 uh right, right, because right. we don't really see him like flirting with men or having relationships it's a it's a whodunit so they're busy uh, i'm sure he does um, but really for the most part, it's just because he's like taking the label and he's basically wearing it like a badge, which is awesome. And I think as like a queer person, it's so nice to see like queer representation where the person, it isn't a love story or a person, you know, embracing their queerness. They just happen to be a queer person who has like is a badass at their job. Well, I also think that it's very Hollywood in terms of branding, where like, you know, he works for this big producer. Dabney is obviously a big producer. He's doing a ton of shit. And so, you know, one one of the biggest producers in the town just starts calling you Gay Perry. But at the same time, he's promoting your business. You can do one of two things. You can be like, uh, or you can run with that shit and use it to brand and stuff like that. Be like, oh, you need Gay Perry. You know what I mean? That feels very L.A. again. And one of those things where it's like, you know, he's obviously doing very well for himself. He's well paid. They get into like his rates and stuff like that. You know what I mean? The guy's doing very well for himself. He's driving a pretty dope car. You know what I mean? He's out there just he's making his uh, his way in the thing. And like, you know, like there's a moment where he's talking with um with with Dabney and Dabney just says the most horrible shit like out loud and you see gay Perry like you see Perry just like laughing but you could tell like there's a moment where it was just like I can't believe this shit you know what I mean like there's yeah. 
there's so many layers to the character. And I think this was one of the, if not if one of the first, if not the first openly gay characters in an action as an action lead. Yes. So, and they weren't, uh, yeah, he wasn't. He golf clap for that. Yeah, I was going to say, he wasn't the butt of a joke. Nope. He wasn't, he didn't die for the heterosexual guy at the end. You know, the kill your gays trope. They do play with it. We'll talk about that after you've seen the movie, folks. But, and then also we have this straight guy, which is Harold and Gay Perry, bromance that blooms. And it's like, you want them to be best friends forever. Even though probably Harold will drive Gay Perry crazy a little bit. But still, they they have this really wonderful relationship. Like, and their banter and they're yeah. like what they think about. And it, they're kind of a good yin and yang because Gay Perry's a little bit more of a planner. He's more thoughtful and like what he's going to do and why he's going to do it. And Robert Downey Jr. being a petty criminal with no PI experience, he just runs, you know, he's going to he's going to he has all the impulse. Right. He's all instinct. And, you know, just, you know, sometimes they're really great. And then other times, like the Russian roulette scene, <laughs> just there's an 8 percent. Who, who taught you math? Like, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I put that gif up on Twitter just last week. Yeah, exactly. Where they're like, I don't, and it's, I don't trust you. I can't believe what's coming out of your mouth. Think about it again, you know. And they do get each other into trouble, you know. It's like, oh, there's the, the scene with the woman in the car, uh, car that they break out of the trunk. Well, they shot open the trunk, and they actually shot her as well. She was right. already dead, but they don't want to then report it to the police because their bullet is in this girl that they didn't know was in the trunk. <laughs> and so it's stuff like that where, you know, they end up creating some of their own problems and then they end up creating their own solutions. So it makes them kind of feel like this dynamic duo where you're like, I'll just watch them do whatever. Right. It's really great. But, and and this is really just a masterclass in setups and payoffs. Yes. It just, it really, it really is, guys. If you if you get a chance to read the script and I'll try to put, just like last week, I'll, I'll, I put up a link to the holiday script uh, if I can find a, a link to this, I'll, I'll put it up to it. I think there's also, you can buy the official version. So I'll, if there's an official version, I will also put up that link because I feel like this is one of the ones that you want to like have on your shelf. I certainly do. And so it's just, it's, it's wonderful writing in terms of setups and payoffs. Like there's, you can learn so much just from watching this movie and literally the, the turns on a dime of, of expectation versus reality is just absolutely great. Not to mention that you have top-tier dialogue. Oh, between just yeah. listen to it. It is just like oral sex. Oral, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, A-U-R, not O-A-O-R-A. No. If a film uh, could do that, I think it would make a no, lot of money. Rule 34, <laughs> stop it. Stop it. This I'm whole sorry. podcast. Sorry, sorry. I it must be it must be Christ. the spirit of Christmas. Um oh, Lord. inside of me. <laughs> uh, anyway, speaking of this, so I think I think what's fun is that this is half rom-com, half murder mystery. So the other thing that's fun to do is just kind of track what's going on with Harold and Harmony because their entire relationship and how they knew each other, how they're knowing each other now, and you know how it breaks down, and how they come to both understand each other a little bit better by the end of the story is fantastic. You know, it is a full, it is a full relationship evolution without even knowing it. You know, I, I don't, and like the fact that he put in this murder mystery to like 
build up the plot is fantastic. Yeah, he always wanted it to be half rom-com. Yeah, there's so much development in terms of those two characters of Harry and Harmony. And literally just, I, I don't know how he does it either. It keeps up the, the rom-com aspect of, but even more so, better so than a lot of rom-coms do, there's a lot of work that is done to those characters in terms of how they relate to each other and how their relationship progresses mm -hmm. and how they eventually, what like when they finally open up to each other, it feels so earned and as you watch these characters just like coming to sort of like conclusions about themselves and conclusions about each other and everything about this movie just feels earned. It checks for me. I feel like in terms of a movie and the things that I like and the things that I want to see in, in a, in a film, it just checks every box. It's yeah. weird. It's funny. It's noir. It's a rom-com. It's a detective story. There's queer representation there's a strong female lead. The characters are well-written and on point. The setups and payoffs and setups and payoffs and setups and payoffs. And it's just, and, and it's shot well. Yeah. What? What? What, you, what I, else do you is, want? Yeah. This is literally a perfect film for, for, for me anyway. It's, it's one of those things. And the fact that, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. This movie was made for $15 million and the studio didn't want it. But because Joe Miller, Joe silver the producer put up most of the budget himself if not i think most i think the entire budget that they that he was agreement done with the studio to, to bob Iger's point so that they wouldn't have executives on set except joe silver yeah. he was yeah. the only one and so <laughs> they this movie was made with love and then when the studio saw it they thought they had a hit but even still they only released it in 169 theaters and that is insane to me like I was, this is what I want to talk about because we, I was at the Alamo. I was literally in a theater watching it the other night. It was packed. It yeah. was a Wednesday night. It was in the middle of the fucking week. And you have a Wednesday night. This movie is 18 years old to a packed house in yeah. Northern Virginia. And Yeah, I was going to say, you're not even in LA. Right. Yeah. Northern Virginia is a packed house. And you have these pe people who everyone came and sat down and paid it. There are people eating food and everything and drinking and everything and having a great time. The, the audience for this movie was absolutely great. People were laughing. People were crying. They were, they were just, they were, they were, it was a whole thing. They just enjoyed themselves. And then afterwards, people stayed to talk about it. Mostly because the Alamo Draft House does a thing called Film Club, and you have like it was a great audience for that. But any, but even still, the fact that you had the, that an eighteen-year-old movie like this, and there were a lot of newbies in the off uh, in the audience who were being dragged there by yeah. people who had seen the film, and you had these people who were just watching it and enjoying the shit out of it, and that's how good this movie is. It's just a, it's a classic. It really is. It's a holiday classic, and I'm glad that we've been able to to talk about it. Here. Yeah, and I think I think again, it's if you think about this, this is a fifteen million dollar movie. Which, if you with inflation, we might be up in the twenties for modern day. But I don't know how you could want more from this movie. And I think one of the reasons we're running into what we're running into in the studio system is they need to spend two hundred million to make a billion. When something like this could, you know, the twenty million dollar movie, which is kind of dead right now, is still 
making beloved movies that people are watching years later. As far as the box office, it kind of broke even, but I would argue that since then, you know, DVDs, downloads, and sales have probably sailed it over into the into the into black. the black, yeah, yeah, into the Shane Black, and a little more promoting probably wouldn't have hurt it either to to make a bigger box office since it was probably such a not song. no. But comparatively, I was going to say the Nice Guys, which came out afterwards, which is another Shane Black detective noir in LA 2016 they they gave him a bigger budget they gave him 50 million and it did it did much higher also when in black so it didn't necessarily score massive profits just in box office but it's not bad so I think what what maybe they're kind of doing is you know they're kind of cutting it off at the limbs like Zaslov is doing instead of embracing it for the weird thing that it is Right, 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 right. 100%. In general, that's just my soapbox in general, you know, we see happening. But either way, uh, I'm so glad it still lives on and people love it. Right. So sort of in conclusion for our deep dive into, you know, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, please go see it. Please read the script. I'm Hopefully I will be able to get all of those assets to you. I'll be able to get you the assets for the screenplay. I'm very confident that it should be in the show notes. And watch the scene where Harmony meets Harry. That's great stuff. And just discover this movie, discover the goodness of it, and share it to people, share it to all the things. Because this is one of those things I feel like as screenwriters that we should all just, this kind of makeup should be in our repertoire. It should it should be in your brain. Like one of those movies that you need to like mesmer, like, you know, metastasize into your <laughs> consciousness. Uh, like I don't know if metastasize is the right word for this. No, it is. It it definitely is. Uh I think I think you mean not metastasize. Where's the one where you absorb it? You're talking about osmosis? Yeah, you need to you need to acquire through osmosis. You need to absorb it. I don't know. Yeah, you're probably right. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Anyway, Rob, what did you watch and work on this week? Well, I went and saw Kiss Kiss Bang Bang at the Alamo, of course, and I've already done my little rant on that. It was amazing to see it in the, on the big screen. And the other thing is I, I tried to watch Scott Pilgrim and I was confused by it. I was like, what is this? I, didn't, I don't know. It's really, it's very strange. I started out really enjoying it and then and then something happens at the end of the first episode and then I was like, wait, what? And then I was like, hmm. And you couldn't would, figure that out by the title? I guess not. And okay. so, but then the characters sort of switches POV and, and somebody takes over. I don't want to spoil it if you're watching it, but the, the voice of the character throws me off because the voice of the character obviously is the same as it was from the movie, but that character, the age in that person's voice does not match this character that's supposed to be in their early 20s. And it throws me off and it's just like and my wife was watching it and it threw her off too so i was like okay yeah. i'm not crazy so it didn't like, bother me but I, I that's interesting you said that i didn't think about that it just no uh. so yeah. the other thing that i did was i cut pages from my chicago script because i was getting to the point where I, my my writing group was like hey this doing? Yeah, like you've gotten to a point where you, you say that the, the good stuff is about to happen, but we're on page 45 and it's way too late in the story for this thing to happen. So I cut 10 good pages out of the script and 
just whew, they weren't was, good pages if they weren't serving you yeah so i so i got the page I, it serves two things but you know it's a good thing because you're you're you know now not so far into the story but at the same time now you've got a you know the structure of the thing has been completely done and and this is what happens when you write by the seat of your pants now you got to figure out like oh yeah this, oh what's hmm. happening I mean, but that's also part of the discovery process. It's great. And, you, and I love it for that. So don't even, don't even Interesting. trip. Interesting. Okay. The other thing that I did, which was really great, was I, as I think I've talked about a little bit on the podcast, I've started my winter project, which is my book called Dasher. And it's supposed to take place in West Virginia, which is uh, Charlestown, West Virginia, which is a town that I used to drive through very often when I was driving armored car and I thought that I knew the city, but then my wife and I went yesterday and we did a, basically a self-guided tour of Charlestown and wow, I did not know (laughs) as much about Charlestown as I thought. First of all, I really discovered the, the, the sort of edges of where Charlestown begins and where it ends and how it is, right on top of the city called Ransom, West Virginia. And it, it, those, these are things that you need to learn. I, one of the things that I've always liked about Stephen King's Holly and and would, and obviously the three Mr. Mercedes books that precede it is that he has a very good grip on what that city is and where the different areas of the city are and their economic sort of standings and the sort of in- fighting of because of their economic standings like what are the poor parts of town and what are Mm -hmm. the poor people who live in those town think about these other people and that kind of stuff and i believe it's a yeah i'm pretty sure it's it's a real city but anyway like the area is real and so the fact that he was no that he knows it but even though it doesn't take place in his go-to which is maine and it's really really great and it's always sort of like been something that I've loved, wanted to live up to in my own writing. And so as I'm doing this, as I'm doing a story about a person who is a DoorDash driver in an area of which I do not live, of which I've only visited, I was really glad that I spent time getting to know the area and and indeed like looking into like various apps yesterday and figuring out what is the actual dashing area of broken up into the yeah yeah what kind of what what places actually do you know encompass the areas of charlestown which is a it is a dashing area but you know there's always surrounding cities and i had picked them in the book but the ones that i picked were completely wrong Mm. and i had no idea that it actually the dashing area actually goes in the opposite direction back towards maryland and so i had no idea it was just one of those things, but it just it, it actually makes sense for if you look in the app. And so that's sort of the things where I was just like, wow, if I hadn't come here and, you know, gotten like, you know, the local texture. Like we also went to the casino and we found out that inside the casino, they just give out free drinks. Just there's just a soda machine and they're just you can go in and get free drinks. There's cups. There you and, go. and, you know, it's really, really great. And it, they smoke indoors like you do. Yeah. Which is not a thing in 2023, but it is in West Virginia. So you know what I mean. There's just a lot of texture and stuff that we that uh, of local texture and sort of things that I picked up in this guided tour that was really really great. That's going to work 
so, so great for the novel and gave me a lot of different things in terms of research possibilities. And so I'm, I'm really, really enjoying this. And I, I think it's going to be a thing. So anyway, that was that was what my thing. Kate Tuxford, what about you? I have been not nearly as productive as you in that regard. Uh, <laughs> but I'm impressed by you. So I don't know if I mentioned it last week. Remind me, but my partner, Ben, is in the hospital, had an open heart surgery. Okay. And so I'm spending a lot of time just going between work here and going to the hospital just to hang with him because it's, I don't know if you guys have had a long stay at a hospital, but it's very boring. So I'm trying to do (laughs) some work there and keep him some company in good spirits while he's got stitches and staples in his sternum where you can't even cough without holding a pillow because you don't want to split. You don't want to split a state, but you don't want to bust back open, right? Yeah, you don't don't want to pop a stitch. You don't want your insides to become outside. So- Yeah. So, so I'm hanging out with him there. And one thing that I'm doing with my other partner, Celia, is we're spending time this week watching stuff that Ben would never want to watch with us. So we are on a reality TV binge, hardcore, (laughs) which basically it just, which requires drinking quite, quite an amount of red wine as well to go with it. So we are watching all of like Married at First Sight in Denver. Okay. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Just just in case you're like, oh, man, they're so classy. They see all these great, great movies. And then they're like, nah, we watch trash TV just like you as well. Well, see, that's that's the thing. So you're doing sort of, you know, you can set a movie in Denver. And then you were doing the exact same thing that I was doing yesterday, which was, you know, you were doing your own little internal research of what this area was like. And, and now you can write about it with authority. So there you go. About people who get married at first sight. Yes. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to put a, a hat on a hat. So, thank you. Thank you for the extra hats, man. <laughs> so what's this week's resource? All right. This this week's resource is another holiday Shane Black film, The Long Kiss Goodnight, which is what we sort of talked about it earlier. But this is one of my favorites and it's for free on Pluto. And fucking watch it, you guys, because it's great. It's so fucking great. Brian Cox has a I would I would link the scene in the show notes but I want you to experience it for yourself. He has a monologue in this movie that every time he says it I fucking die laughing. It is one of the funniest things in the history of cinema and it is is delightful. It's just beautifully delivered dialogue. Everything about this movie is great. It is it's having so much fun with itself. If you released it now I feel feel like it would be a big stinky hit. Because there's so much character work and Gina Davis is fucking amazing. She just she just comes on the screen and just owns it. Just absolutely owns it. And her and Samuel L. Jackson are again just a wonderful te- pair up. That 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 buddy comedy shit, you know, nobody does it better than Shane Black. And absolutely. it is very much on display here, Gina Davis and Samuel L. Jackson. And again, in that sort of thing where Gina Davis is the heavy and Samuel I mean, Samuel L. Jackson, which you would think would be kind of like the, you know, the big masculine guy and stuff like that, but he's totally not. And you just watch him sort of like know his role, like learn his role in terms of like, you know, who he is versus Gina Davis. And it's so great. It's absolutely fantastic. I don't know why this is again why this or uh Kiss Kiss Bang Bang aren't giant stinky hits 
This movie is amazing. And the Shane Blackisms are well on display. And the setups and payoffs are real. Just absolutely fucking gorgeous dialogue and amazing action. Just and Christmas. Everything yeah, you want. And Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, it's so iconic. Like I've seen scenes from the long kiss. Good night, like spoofed on like family guy. Like mm-hmm. it's it, it, you will see stuff and you're like, oh, my gosh, I've seen that before. Or I know that or something like that. And it all came from this. And I think I think it just got maybe overhyped or not properly promoted enough because I think it's a perfect Shane Black 90s movie. It's so great. And it yeah. just it just works. Every part of it just works. And you know, Rennie Harlan, I think, got a bad rap. He does a really great job directing this. But, you know, the real star of the show, of course, is Shane Black. And this screenplay is gorgeous. So just, yeah, The Long Kiss Goodnight. It's free. It's on Tubi. Please watch it. Not Happy Tubi. Holidays. Pluto. 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 Right. Pluto. So. But Pluto is a free app. All you got, it just comes with ads. So right. like Tubi. They're like yeah. uh, yin and yang. So it's a free, it's a free watch. You can probably rent it as well on like Prime etc yeah um but you yeah. know how we do here so we we, we like the free stuff free. so anyway that is our show screenwriting from the trenches can currently be found on amazon anchor apple google iHeartRadio, and spotify podcasts as well as kevinlmartin.com our screenwriting twitter drama theme song was written by zach morrison and it was used with his permission and hey we'd appreciate it if you you know rated us or you know gave us five stars or let us have a review give us a review on whatever platform that you patronize why ktuxford algorithms and questions that we can and will answer on the show please email us at robertbmofo.net you can also find us on the twitters i'm at the spectacle mofo i am at k underscore tux and zach is at zach morrison 18 on pretty much all platforms and these things as well as my youtube channel series where the cinema challenge series of how to make a movie for a thousand dollars the first part and the beginnings of the second part are up there we are getting towards our final shooting day for our thousand dollar movie it's coming up this month and i pulled off a christmas miracle of my own i will talk about that on the show in the next few weeks but i'm so excited about that and i will be updating that so that you guys will have the definitive guide for how to make a movie for $1,000. And all of that will be linked in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that you will continue to do so. Now, stop procrastinating. Those pages aren't going to write themselves. Mm-hmm.